Hello and welcome to the Analytics FC podcast. I'm John McKenzie, Head of Content, and this week I spoke to Peter McKeever, Data Analyst at StatsPerform and the Data Visualization Editor for Opta's new website, The Analyst. In our conversation, we talked about the importance of visualizing data within the football industry, the challenges faced by visualizers, and how the industry can use visualization better. Here's what Peter had to say. So Pete, hi, how are you doing? Hey, not too bad, John. How are things? Yeah, really, really good. It's great to have you on. I'm really excited about having a chat with you today. I think the best place to begin and where I always begin these interviews is with biographical questions because I think it gives the listeners a sort of context where they can have a sense of how you fit into the industry. So I wondered if you could give us a brief overview of how you ended up working for Stats Perform. Originally, I had no interest in doing anything remotely like this. So in university, I studied journalism. My whole goal for life was actually to be a short story writer. Putting myself through university then, I worked for a very famous Irish betting company in one of their shops. And through that, kind of got interested in how odds are formulated. And that was the initial kind of inroad for that. Through that, I started reading lots of work on a lot of the early football analysis stuff that was going around. This is probably... 2008, 2009. And through that, just kind of got drawn into football analytics. So I did that poorly for many years, upskilled a bit, kind of got in touch through the community with coaches and so on at clubs, was doing some side work for clubs. And yeah, through that, then just saw an opportunity for Perform Group, as it was a few years ago, and applied for that. I actually never heard back. I think I wasn't going to get the job. But luckily, I sent a DM to Tom Warville. And I think he pushed me back into the interview pile. I think what's so fascinating about a lot of the people I talk to these days is that they have such varied entries into the industry. And I think it makes not only for more interesting interviews, but also for a more interesting industry as well. Because what we are seeing is a move away from that sort of vocational career that we saw our parents having to people who can do things in different ways, have interesting approaches to, to problems, have creative ideas about what the future of the industry should look like. So with that in mind, I'd be interested just to hear what a regular working day looks like for you, because I suspect it's probably as varied as, as your entry into the into the industry, the way that your job looks right now. So even before the launch of our website, The Analyst, it was pretty varied, but now especially I kind of have a few different roles, I would say. So I still do my analysis work for the stats perform side of things. I work as a data viz editor for the analyst and also work as a developer, I'd say as well. So for a lot of our internal tools or interactives that you might see on the analyst website, I would create those. In terms of the data analysis work, it's varied. It's you know requests for media clients. It's creating and automating new reports requests from teams and requests from federations. We might need to give a presentation for a federation. Every week is is something different. We're going to talk specifically today about visualization, uh, but you have mentioned that you are doing analysis work and you are doing development work as well. And I'm just interested to hear about that side of things and how it sort of all fits together. A lot of people who will be listening to this will be interested in in the sorts of jobs that are available in the industry. So how does that all fit together with the analysis, the, the development, and then the visualization stuff as well? Thankfully, I'm 
part of a team so the guys can pick up some of the slack on the analysis stuff especially some of the media requests because that's a lot of work when they come in you know directly after weekend football and so on or during the euros i think it's more about how you subset your tasks you know so we work in sprints so we know at the beginning of every week or every two weeks that we'll have you know set projects or set tasks that we want to get done one of us will then work ad hoc so any of these requests that come in that person will be responsible for managing those but uh yeah i mean it's still quite a lot of work it's probably a lot more it's more than you could fit into you know a regular working day so a lot of the development stuff i began the development side of things more as a hobby and you know just through building our internal tools that our editorial teams use and so on kind of got into the analyst and working on that side of things there but i think the interactives it fits in with the visualization stuff as well because those two can work together quite well. We've put out a couple of interactive visualizations on the website so far, not as much as I'd like, but on this particular project, I'm sadly a one-man team, so it, it takes a bit longer to develop. Well, let's move on and talk a little bit about uh, the concept of visualization in data. And I suspect there may be some people listening to this interview who are a, a little bit skeptical of the value of talking about visualizing data in its own right. So I'd like to begin with some big picture questions, really. So first off, how would you answer the question, why is visualization important within data analysis? So within analysis itself, I think you have three main use cases for visualizations. So to explore, to explain, and to highlight. So within analysis itself, you can't just take a massive data set and take it as true. Every data set will have its biases, and the initial stage of any analysis is figuring out what your data looks like. And a quick way to do that is through certain visualizations. So a pairwise plot, for example, you can use even kind of scatter plots on specific metrics to see, are there many outliers? How does this data look? Is it what we would expect for this metric that we're looking at? So in terms of exploration, it's very important. And this is not something that stakeholders will see or that you'll present, but it's for your initial first steps into analysis. Explanation then as well, this is kind of when we have results or when we're reporting on models or reporting on players, a way to explain not just how we arrived at the endpoint, but what that endpoint is. So for example, let's say we're looking at chance creators in the Premier League. If you can explain through data and through these specific steps, even with the scatter plot, who those players are, I think it can help tell a much richer story. If you just have a list of 50 players' names, no one's going to read the 50 players' names. They're going to look for the top two players and that's kind of it. But you're not really getting any context into what is the distance between those players, how much better or worse are certain players' metrics in that season over you know a specified time frame. And then, yeah, with highlighting as well. So again, to go back to Grealish, if we have a request from a client, let's say, and they do want something that is specific to Grealish, that we can show how he compares to his colleagues, but have that focus on him, have that highlight him amongst his peers, basically. Again, I'm going to say it would work visually well because visualizing data is what I do, but I think it helps tell a story. So maybe that example isn't a story in itself, but it gives a bit more roundness to a story, which I think is always really helpful. I wonder if you could give us a brief overview of the history of visualization within the industry. I'm interested in where it 
really became a thing and who were the big players both individually and collectively because I feel as though in my time as someone who follows the the data industry and has done for the last decade there's been huge leaps and bounds made in that and it feels as though visualization has moved from being maybe a peripheral reality to being something that's very central. I think it can even go back to Opta many, many years ago. I don't know who the developer, I guess, was at the time working there, but some of those very early visualizations were pretty bad (laughs) for what it was. I mean, this was basically a new field of study that was opening up and there wasn't really much there before. So of course, you know, early iterations of anything are not going to be great. For the time, it was still groundbreaking though. I think in terms of the development of data viz within you know the football analytics community or within the football industry it really began with the research so you know in the early days where you would see a lot of visualizations was around validating models or using scatter plots with an r squared number or an rmse it wasn't so much about the storytelling of it but proofing the models and the concepts that were the foundation for where we are today what do we talk about when we talk about xg those early days of studying XG and you know developing those metrics to be able to begin to quantify long-term performance in football. This is where we saw a lot of these early visualizations. From that, you had people like James Grayson. So he's old school with this. Had Martin Eastwood as well, who did a lot of work with some advanced models. Devin Pluler, Danny Page, Sam Gregory, Elf Tagen, Sanders, I believe is his first name. But Elf Tagen, I, I think he's more widely known as Nils McKay, Warville, of course, you know, a lot of these guys, I think they began to move a bit away from the research side of things or, you know, the visualizations within the research side of things and bring it more into more player evaluation stuff and not the proof side of things. And I think this is really what kicked it off. A few years after that, there was a company called Stratabet. I don't know if you would remember them. So they opened up a lot of their data to the public for use. I think this is a massive turning point in how the industry works now. I don't think they get a lot of recognition for this, but it made this kind of data accessible to people in a way that if it wasn't accessible, if you didn't know your way around the internet or your way to get to specific data, you weren't going to get much help from people. So by making that accessible, I think it opened the community up to such an extent that so many new ideas and so many new concepts began to come into it. And this really bolstered the community that we have now. So a lot of these people was constant. If you look at Twitter, for example, on analytics, Twitter, fanalytics, Twitter, whatever you want to call it, it's inundated with this now. If you were to go back eight years, it would be a lot more blog posts. It would be a lot more research. Now it's very much viz focused. And I think this created a positive feedback loop where This was becoming, I don't want to say a a part of the community, but developing into almost its own kind of community within database that people outside of that bubble began to take notice of it as well. I think that really began to push, okay, how can we use this? And through that, the storytelling aspect of it came about. I think with so many people working on similar problems, it became less about how can we improve models and how can we improve performance and more about how can we tell stories about this? How can we use visualizations to showcase, you know, not what this model can do, but what the outputs of this model reveal in this point in time. I think that was a pretty big turning point. And I think since then, I think it's gone beyond the functional part of it, where 
we will use visualization for a specific task or for a specific reason to data viz being created now for its own sake, almost as an artistic expression, I think. And I think that's it's a nice place to be in because I think now we have a nice balance where people are mixing this you know, functional aspect of it with this more design aspect of it. I think it creates this functional art. If you look at Maram Al-Bahrana, I believe her name is, so she mixes this balance quite well, where she will have a lot of functional aspects and she does reveal a lot through her visualizations, but at the same time, she makes them visually appealing. I think that balance that she strikes and that many are kind of doing these days is is the sweet spot. You know, I think we're in in a bit of a renaissance of this exploration of how we can take these new ideas and expand on them. Yeah, I find that really fascinating, that evolution that you've talked about from using Viz as, as a sort of functional means of, of achieving things to almost flipping it around and, and people doing the research, putting out the data, and then other people coming in and visualizing that data. And I wonder if you think there's any sort of benefit the other way there. Do you see that going back then into the industry, going seeing these people being employed by clubs and, and seeing a benefit really to the industry because that opposite movement has been made? So this is kind of my own way into it. You know, I did a lot of this finalist work in my own spare time. You know, I would work in the bedding shop 10 or 12 hours and I'd stay up then until two or three in the morning, you know, working on Excel spreadsheets. This is before I had any coding experience. This is kind of the way into it, I think. And we've seen it. I mean, we've seen it, you know, over the past few years where people have begun putting stuff out in their visualizations or in blog posts. And I think this is what we don't see enough of anymore, not just having a standalone graphic, but using that as part of, of a wider piece or a wider story. And again, to go back to Maram, you know, she began also putting out graphics and putting out visualizations and Twitter threads and so on. And this has led to her getting chances to work with companies within the industry. And I think it's great. There is a way in to clubs and there is a way into media organizations through this. I think this is also part of the appeal that people see it as a chance not to just upskill and to be part of a community, especially now in lockdown when, you know, everyone's been stuck at home. But, you know, there are opportunities if you have something clear to say and you can get your name out there. I think there are opportunities available. One of the interesting things you said in, in the previous answer was that when we're talking about visualization, we are talking about the idea of aesthetics. You even used the phrase renaissance, which I liked because there is that obviously that artistic element to it as well. Well, one of the perennial problems of philosophical aesthetics is something that you might call the beauty is in the eye of the beholder problem. As soon as you start doing philosophies of aesthetics, you sort of end up getting to a point where you're kind of like, well, whatever anyone likes, that's, that's fine. Uh, there's not really much you can say about it beyond that. But I wondered if you had any thoughts on, on personal preference, whether or not you have any specific rules that you apply when you're making visualizations, which are, are an attempt to maybe be a little bit more objective than just simply saying, well, if someone likes this viz, it's good. And if, uh, and if someone doesn't, then it, you know, there'll be someone else out there who will. I wondered if you had any ideas of how you negotiate that as a, as a data visualizer. Yeah, I think there's many steps to it. It's not just these are the 10 rules for creating graphics. It, it will all depend on the situation, but some kind of main areas will be, you know, even before you begin creating the graphic, selecting the correct chart type. A lot of issues that you see, and it's not in a fanless community, it's in wider media as well, where the data that they have probably isn't best reflected in the chart type that they're choosing. For example, you see a lot of bar charts being used incorrectly, or you see a lot of scatter plots being used incorrectly, or 
God forbid, a pie chart now and then. But yeah, I mean, so I think just understanding what data set you're working with and what you're trying to convey with that data is what will guide the type of chart that you'll use to to present that because it needs to make sense. If you're looking at relationships between two variables, you're going to look at a scatter plot. In the past few years, we've seen that be maybe misused where two completely unrelated variables are being presented as a scatter plot and it can present a false choice. I mean, there's ways of dealing with that and there's ways of varying that chart type to still use the same variables, but you're using it in a different way. But yeah, I mean, in terms of communicating that message, I think you always need to be true to the data set. If you have an idea of what you want this graphic to show before you look at the data, you're going to find a way for that data to say what you want it to say, which is it's not going to end well because you're not being truthful in what you're showing. I think that's probably the most important rule that I would have is that you can only show what the data says. You know, you can only show what your findings say. You can't cut that in so many ways to make it fit what you want to show because there's a certain trust in media with with these kind of things as well. You know, there's some classic Fox News graphics where they'll have bar charts, but the bars don't start at zero. So you get this horrible scaling that can make things look either not as severe as they are or more severe than they actually are. It's disingenuous. I think you need to have respect for your readers and you need to present things as they actually lie. But yeah, in terms of visualizing data itself, color is probably the biggest one. I think pairing colors is quite important and not just the the main color. I think a lot of people worry about and focus on the primary color that they will use and maybe the secondary color where I think you need to build it as layers, as if you're kind of making a cake. So, you know, if you have a background color, if you want to include information that is not the main information, but gives context to that information, choosing an appropriate color for that segment is also very important. So for example, if you have quite a dark gray or almost black background color, in my opinion, you should look to use a darker gray color for those points that give context. The instinct is I have dark, so I need to use something light, but this gives more emphasis than you want to give to those points. And from that then, yeah, like with your primary colors, having a color that complements the background well, or that fits nicely with that color. So I think with the stats perform dark theme graphics that we have, I think this works quite well, where we have a quite dark background, we have a dark gray color for those context points, and then we have this vibrant red for kind of the main focus that we want to show or the main group of players or teams that we want to highlight, which, yeah, I think goes a long way. Also, every color that you include or every point that you, sh- that you include should be easily interpretable. So whether that means you include a legend on your charts or you encode that meaning through color in titles, you know, a way that the reader, as they view it, they're not searching for the meaning of what you're trying to show. You know, the goal of visualization is to take something that's complex or much larger and condense it down into its own story, into its own snapshot of how things are. And it can be a story in its own right, or it can be as a complement to tell a wider story. 
In terms of the work that you do, you've mentioned that you do a lot of outward-facing public work, especially through The Analyst, the new website that you guys are putting out. It's obvious to see in the sphere of journalism just how important visualisation is right now. We've we've seen what Tom Warville, who you've mentioned, we've seen what he's done at The Athletic, and we're seeing, I think, that sort of uh, approach to, to journalism, data journalism, really pushing the forefront of, of visualisation. But I think it's important in our industry as well to realise that visualisations aren't just simply being done as public facing things there's also internal areas where it's important to get your visualization right in the football industry the the classic example of that is working with clubs where you are going to be working with people who maybe aren't necessarily as data savvy as the people who are producing those visualizations you'll be working with people who don't have a lot of time to sit down and look at information so you want that data to be presented um, in, a, in a really clear and and uh, meaningful way as you said I guess my, my question there is like what what's your experience been on that side of things because I feel as though because a lot of this sort of stuff isn't front-facing within the industry, there's not really the impetus to get get it right or to, to really nail your, your viz. So what, what's your sort of take on that side of things? It's a different audience, and I think audience is always key. So when you're working with clubs or you're working with stakeholders, I think visualization is a good way of decoding between two separate languages because you have club speak and coach speak and you have stats speak and you know, it's quite often talked about that you need to be able to speak the same language. And I think visualization is a great bridge between those two worlds. So, of course, teams want data and they want reports, but the stakeholders, they're not going to sit down and pour through all those you know, spreadsheets or whatever that you send them. But you can give them those snapshots and you can get that buy-in through visualization. You know, usually, let's say a team has a specific question or a, a series of specific questions. By being able to present that and back up what the evidence shows with visualizations, it's a lot easier for people to then internalize that and to get the message from that instead of leaving them to their own devices to pour over you know, spreadsheets or a PDF that says these are the findings. If they can see it from themselves, I think it can help build trust with providers and clubs or federations. If it, you have a new coach, for example, who's looking to implement you know, a new uh, training system for his club or for you know a national team by being able to provide that coach with answers to his specific questions or her specific questions they can then go to their federation or to their board and get buy-in from this you know it's evidence-based visualizations that they can use to build a culture of data in their clubs of course there are still many many clubs who don't want to hear anything about data and that's fair for them but if you look at the clubs who have embraced data, they are doing incredibly well. A specific championship club who's now going to be playing in the Premier League, as an example. There are teams who are seeing the benefits of this investment in data. And I think the elements within clubs who are interested in using more data, we are probably that missing link that can help push that to the board. That having that, And again, it's not saying we need data and we need seven new employees. It's this is what can be done. Here is ways that we can communicate stuff to our players. And it's not just, you know, summary stats. It's if you're looking at event level stuff, if you're looking at, at players' tendencies, for example. So last year, two years ago, we began collecting all control events. So every single touch that a player makes in the ball. So this means without tracking data for many leagues, we can 
this sounds like a pitch, but it's not. <laughs> um, but, you know, so for example, if you're looking at Adama Traore's carries, instead of only having the start point and the end point of that, every single time he touches the ball, we measure that now. So we can get a pretty good snapshot of his tendencies, you know, when he's facing a player, when he's going down the wing, as he always does. But I mean, <laughs> being able to present this then, not just on the defensive side, that when is a player going to play with his back to the goal? You know, bits like this that you can condense from a lot of this data. And if you were a, a video analyst and you had to sit for 16 hours to put together a two-minute clip of specific actions that you want to show, by being able to harness data and condense that down into a visualization, it's faster, it's hopefully visually appealing, but it's an easier way of communicating to coaches or to players themselves that, you know, that there are benefits to them of using visualizations within their overall setup. And I think the flip side of this is that when you are working in the industry with clubs, with players, with coaches, the issue can be that sometimes you present data badly uh, in such a way that people pick up the wrong idea as well. So I wondered if you had any thoughts on how you go about avoiding that as much as possible. I mean, it goes back to the first point of staying true to the data that as much as you might want to show something just to step away from the club or from the industry side of things just maybe talk about in the fanalytics community you know if you look at let's say club fan accounts so quite a few of these have sprung up but the nature of being a club fan account you're always going to want to tell stories in a way that is positive for the club or positive about specific players which can lead you into a trap of maybe this player isn't excellent in xyz metrics but if we only look at players who are under 21, who have only played over 1,200 minutes, then suddenly, oh, wow. Again, I think there's ways that this can be misused. So I think it's the truthfulness to the data, but also being an expert in a specific area, but just having that engagement with clubs and with people in the industry, you know, really helps build up how you can correctly or more accurately convey what the visualization is saying or what the analysis uh, is saying so i think this is where these miscommunications lie and again back to visualizations this can be a bridge between these two worlds and i see it as a bridge between them but you also need to have the analyst or the data scientist who has the ability to interpret that or to communicate what this is showing in a way that will help the coaches but even with that i think having the visualization itself it's a lot easier to look at one graphic instead of 12 page reports. And yeah, I think it just, it helps bolster this connectivity. You know, a lot of clubs that we've spoken to, a lot of the departments within clubs are quite separated. So it can be quite difficult to get that communication. But by having these things integrated within clubs, I do think it helps bridge that gap. And not just between providers, but within clubs themselves. We've seen many clubs over the past few years really invest in in their analytics departments. You obviously work for a company that takes visualization very seriously. So a more general question, I suppose, is do you think that the football industry in general, I know that's a, a huge industry, but do you think that they are doing enough to, to take visualization seriously? Do you think there's scope for, for better visualization to be done as a rule? It's a changing landscape. If you look at television over the last 10 years, the amount of graphics that you would see, not related to video, but just pure graphics, you know, whether they're season summary stuff or in-game tracking stuff, you know, it's really, really become a lot more prominent over the last couple of years. 
I mean, even last year, the AWS, their live win predictor was on screen for a couple of matches. On the Twitter sphere, it was a mixed uh, opinion on that. But I do think that is the direction that it's going. Even in, I don't want to say DIY setups, but more independent setups. Like if you look at Scouted Football, for example, in their last issue, I think it's the first one that they've had a visualization in it. And that was pretty cool to see. So not just, you know, like a, a player's position on the pitch, but actually looking at specific statistics. I don't want to say it's becoming trendy. I, th- I still think it's quite a nerdy thing to have a massive interest in. <laughs> but, you know, it is, I think, becoming more part of the nomenclature of fan culture. And again, it's not just the visualizations themselves. It's the massive debates that seem to rage endlessly about XG, for example. I think it all pulls together into this side of it because I think visualization is a lot easier to get a grip on instead of having to understand 25 different metrics. I think it is something that regular fans can just hold on to as a way of getting into it. And you do see this. I mean, if you look at the engagement on these kind of visualizations on Twitter, it's regular fans. They're not analysts. They're not putting out their own viz. They're the ones who are engaging with it. And again, it it can be something like, ah, see, I told you Messi is the GOAT or... No, fuck you. It's you know Ronaldo. <laughs> there is that that level that we're getting to. I I still think there's a long way to go, but it definitely is changing. I think. I always close out these interviews with a question about the future. So I wonder if you have any insights into where you think visualization is going to go next in the football industry. I think it's going more towards interactivity, but I think that's the wider society is going in, in this direction too. And it's not to say that that is you know the correct way to go. I think the people in the industry or in the community at the minute are working across a a massive range of tools. I work in Python and I work with D3. Others work in R with ggplot. Some work in Excel, some work in PowerPoint. And I mean, the work that they put out is still great. But I do think that we will shift more towards interactivity. But I think it's just because it's what people are beginning to expect that, you know, when you use an app, for example, you expect it to have specific functionality. I think with the amount of data that we're collecting now and the amount of data that's becoming available, static visualization is is nice and it's great to look at, but I think people want to have more interaction. I think they want to be able to explore a bit more and kind of find their own stories beyond what the, the main purpose or the main story of that visualization is. Well, Pete, thanks so much for coming on today. It's been great chatting to you. Thank you. Great chat. So that was Peter McKeever. Data Analyst at Stats Perform and Data Visualization Editor for Opta's new website, The Analyst. You can find Peter on Twitter at Peter McKeever, and you can read The Analyst at theanalyst.com. We'll be back next month with another interesting guest, but until then, make sure you subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it, and check out all the content that is going out from Analytics FC on our Twitter account, at Analytics FC. Goodbye.